Athletic. Stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and back from the social media blackout, which meant he was forced to watch the actual game, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, Jackie. You're right. Well, thank you. A much improved performance from Wolves. Vitinha finally gets his chance and takes it. There are positive signs elsewhere too, but familiar failings cost them a first league win at the Hawthorns in 10 attempts. Why can they still not defend crosses? Thierry Henry's not impressed with Saïs. Later on, we'll look ahead to Wolves versus Brighton on Sunday in the company of Andy Naylor from The Athletic. Can the BBC expect a 3-3 like the reverse fixture in January? Or a 0-0 like the last two meetings at Molyneux? And something a bit different for you. We'll take a statistical and analytical look into the reasons behind Wolves' struggles in front of goal this season. Former Premier League striker turned forwards coach James Scowcroft has been doing some research for us and will tell us his final findings. To read all the fine writing and analysis that The Athletic has to offer, you can subscribe for a 40% discount for six months by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod. That's where you'll find all of Tim's Wolves articles and other quality content as well, all for less than a pound a week for six months. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod. How are you, Tim? Yeah, good, good. Nice, enjoyed a little ding-dong derby in the rain yesterday. Very good. <laughs> rain? It was biblical, wasn't it? And what about the social media blackout? Have you enjoyed a little bit of headspace in that time? Uh, it's been quite idyllic. It's been very nice. And then back to normal on Monday morning. Um, yeah, it was um, It was a strange notion during the game. But I, I enjoyed it, actually getting to just sit and watch the whole thing of what was quite an intriguing contest, really, with quite a few narratives. It was good fun. And I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed going to the Hawthorns, which is something I've never said before, because every time I've gone there... Uh, We've lost, I think, pretty much. I've never reported on uh, a game there before. First time in the press box, normally in the away end, flicking the Vs, but but not this time. Um, <laughs> Unscrewing and, uh, the seats. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. I mean, you know, it's not a derby without fans. It was an enjoyable game, like I said, an intriguing contest. Yes, and a nice quiet one for you on the social media front. But we will talk about that a little bit later on because it's been an interesting week on that front and with the boycott as well. So we'll discuss that later on in any other business. So West Bromwich Albion won, Wolves won. When you saw the team sheet, what do you think? I didn't have a clue what formation he was going to play. Neither did Sam Allardyce, as he kind of said after the game, which I think was um, certainly in Wolves' favour, you know, the fact that he had to change his formation uh, early on in the game with a substitution. So, yeah, I texted him, because, you you know, you can't go across and talk to people these days in the COVID world. I texted Steve Madeley, the Athletics Albion correspondent, and said it would be an awful game and would finish 1-1. But it wasn't an awful game. The result did feel a bit predictable. I was just shocked by the experimentation. You know, when Wolves achieved safety essentially with that 1-0 win over Sheffield United I remember us saying on the podcast the ideal time to experiment would be at home to Burnley or at home to Brighton not the big local derby and maybe not the three tough games to finish the season against good opposition but he went for it I thought it was a real sort of balls out move really considering they played four at the back against Albion in January and got torn to shreds. And I know some of it was, was forced on him, you know, Willy Bolly's, you know, concern in absence and Martinio was still out, but he dropped Pedence, which was the right call. He dropped William Jose, which I think was the right call, looking, looking at what Silva did. I thought it was generally a positive performance. 
you know, you mentioned social media. I've got a bit of stick this morning for saying that pride was restored. But I think it, when you look at where they were a week ago, when every man and his dog was saying that Wolves weren't even trying against Burnley, and they legitimately could have lost 7-0 against Burnley, that would have been a fair reflection of the chances created in that game. So to then go to West Brom in awful conditions, I cannot underplay how bad the weather was. The puddles that were forming at the end of the game, I think if that was at the start of the match, it might not have started. It, it was that bad. It was freezing cold, horrendous rain and wind as well. That all had an impact. And we know how sort of tough and physical Albion are and Sam Allardyce's teams are. And we also know Albion have had an upturn in, in performances recently. So I know people are disappointed, you know, that was that managed to beat West Brom this season. But considering where they were a week ago, considering they had six senior players out from a tiny squad, considering it was a patched-up lineup with four kids. I thought they did really well. It's just a shame that they can't defend a basic cross, otherwise they'd have won. Well, on that, Thierry Henry less than impressed on Monday Night Football on Sky. And we saw it at the time. You just the amount of space that Connor Townsend had to put in what was a fantastic cross, by the way, the quality on the cross, but he had forever to think about what he was going to do and where he's going to put it. And Saiz had forever to think, well, how am I going to defend this cross? I need to make sure I don't lose my man and give him five yards of space to just plant it past our stranded goalkeeper. And you just wonder what the thought process was there in terms of not being anywhere near Townsend to stop the cross. I mean... Samedo's job presumably and then you could see Connor Cody pointing to Saiz to say that's your man don't lose him and what does he do defend like a midfielder who was playing at the back for the first time in his career not somebody who's played there multiple times more than multiple I mean he's how many caps has he won for Morocco is it upwards of 60 he plays at centre half every single time and he's played at centre half for years now for Wolves so that's such an easy accusation that people throw at him and Cody, that they're midfielders in defence. That's that's no excuse for gazing at the ball and losing your man to a free header. I thought it was it was so bad. But we've seen it time and again this season. And I don't like pointing the finger, but Saïs has been the main culprit, really, for losing, losing attackers in the box and letting the ball go over his head. It's happened a lot this season, and that's cost Wolves a fair amount of goals, to be honest. Just really disappointing because the effort that they'd put in I thought the kids outshone the seniors, to be honest, and they, they deserve to win that game, the effort they put in. Vitinha being the star. Considering it was do or die for Albion, they had to win that game. And there was nothing on it for Wolves, really. The commitment they showed what? was 100% effort. Nothing on it? Are you kidding me? As in league, league position, they've got nothing to play for. Yeah, I just don't like that expression, nothing to play for. I'm not having to go at you here. I'm just saying people keep saying so-and-so's got nothing to play for. It's Premier League football. It's going around the world. It's No, I know, but, but compared, compared to Albion, I think we saw that yeah. against Burnley last week. You know, Burnley... Burnley needed to win to stay up and I think that was reflected in the effort levels and Albion it was it was do or die for them so I was just pleased that they matched their their commitment and effort which obviously we hadn't seen a week earlier and the, the kids like I said they, they outshone the seniors I thought Bettini was superb he looked so comfortable in possession he was good at coming deep to get the ball he was good at playing in the hole he was good at running at defenders he was playing give and goes he was getting in the box shooting from range sort of everything you want really in that position, and Wolves just haven't really got a play like that in that squad. You know, Pedenza's tried it a bit recently. Pedenza came on and did nothing again. He must be struggling 
with injury. He must be, because the five performances he's put in since he come back, he's just not looked himself at all. I thought Gibbs White outshone him as well of the two subs that came on. Otisawi was right winger, which was just crazy. And after a rough start, I thought he really grew into the game. I thought Silver grew into the game. I thought Aitnori was showed great composure and maturity and took the game to Albion and he was trying to take them on. A couple of really good runs into their box in the first half. Adam Bate from Sky tweeted me this morning to say, Wolves started with four players born since 2000. That's as many as any other team has given starts to in total this season. Um, and Wolves have done that seven times this season with, with those players. And Bettinia hadn't started since early January. Silva hadn't started since the, the last derby in mid-January. And Otisawi, it was his second start with his last one coming against Burnley. You know, Nuno's looking for signs for next season and he's looking to set standards and, and lay foundations for next season. And I think those four players suggested, albeit against opposition that are going to be relegated, you've got to take that into account. But I thought they suggested that, that they've got a part to play. Aitnori, I think, will be signed and um, Vitinha is certainly putting his hand up with that performance to say that um, that he could be as well. It's a good job Vitinha has been warming the bench in a campaign so devoid of creativity, hey? <laughs> I think you can only assume he hasn't played because of the formation. Um, I don't think he sees him fitting into that 3-4-3. And lo and behold, he's played a 10 yesterday and Vitinha is that man. And that looks like his best position to me. He obviously doesn't trust him in a flat two, which is why we haven't seen him partner with Vitinha or Neves. But hey, this is a great opportunity now, four games to go, to see what he can do. You know, if you'd have asked me last week if they're going to sign him, I'd have said probably not, really, because we haven't seen enough of him. But you look at that performance, albeit against, like I said, a team that's going to be relegated. And like I said earlier, he's, he's, he's just offers a lot that, of what Wolves don't have. And he looks so comfortable in possession and so comfortable carrying the ball. And he looks like a pretty intelligent player as well. So hopefully the three kids that came in yesterday, we, we can see a bit more of them. Otisawi's sort of a fascinating case in that the two starts he's made for Wolves have been in a false nine and a right winger. You know, for someone who... I did a feature on him a few months ago and he's a defensive midfielder by trade. That's how he kind of came up when he was a youngster. That's where we first saw him for Wolves against uh, Chelsea, which feels like an awful long time ago, back in December when he when he played so well that day. It's where he played for America as well, wasn't it? When we briefly, briefly came on. Um so yeah, but I, I've got to say, for someone for someone who's who's so far out of position, and I assume as never played in the right wing in his life. Um, he did all right, you know. Um, he started off He started off trying to win too many free kicks and falling to the floor, which a few of them did, and Silva kept doing that as well. I'm like, come on, guys, just stop it. But Otisawi kept doing that, and he kept giving the ball away. But he grew into the game. He glides with the ball really effectively. He can ghost kind of pass players and use his strength. Um, he's pretty good at keeping possession as well. So, yeah, you know... <laughs> Where do we want to see that skill set? And um, really interested to see what Nuno does with him now. He's mentioned or hinted at, at his attitude and his um, application a couple of times this season, not, not being what he wants it to be. So hopefully this is um, a kind of a bit of a watershed moment. You know, you've come in a Black Country derby, you played really well. This is a big chance, you know, for, for your career. Silver, we've discussed a lot. And like I said, I thought Aitnori was great. He's really matured in the last few weeks. And yes, he's still a little bit dozy at the back post on a couple of occasions. But, you know, the kid's 19. To have these four youngsters felt like boys against men, really. And like I said, I know it's a derby and everybody wanted them to win, but to go from they were last week to where they, to where they were against Albion, I was really pleased with what I saw. Hopefully they can continue that into the last few games. Yeah, in terms of Otisawi, he's 20 years of age. He's got that one cap for the United States now. 
Nuno did talk about him having to live his life as a professional every day. So that is absolutely Nuno's prerogative to not play him more often if he's seeing behind the scenes that he's not showing the professionalism that the others are. It doesn't mean it's it's a major big deal, but it's absolutely his right to not play him more often. So it's not up to us as journalists or fans to say, I can't believe he's not playing him. He's the manager. He has to make that decision. And on this occasion, he is sort of drip feeding him in. Obviously, as you mentioned, not in his ideal position, but it seems to be an issue of trust. I remember when Roy Hodgson didn't seem to trust Ross Barkley not to give the ball away and he was right to not trust him to not give the ball away and that was the issue he had at the time and it seems to be that with Otto Sauer who gave the ball away so many times early on in this game and you look at him and you think he's a central midfielder in the making he's going to be driving at opponents and they're not going to like it one bit but to be in that central midfield role in the Premier League you have to be trusted not to give the ball away which is presumably why Nuno started him not in those central positions. And you would hope that for next season onwards, if he continues to show the right application, that he will have a future at the club. And it could be an exciting one. Yeah, and I think we've seen that with Morgan Gibbs-White, with Jordao and with Vitinha this season, that if you're going to play in central midfield in a flat midfield four for Wolves, then you've got to be, yeah... Complete, completely based on the team first and foremost and not doing anything daft and when he came on against Man City I know it's harsh to point the finger but he came on against Man City for one minute gave the ball away and Man City scored that's the Premier League so that's what and we haven't seen him since it's no, it's no coincidence so we know what Nuno's teams are all about they're all about organisation they're all about structure they're all about shape they're all about discipline they're all about doing your tasks he says it time and again do your task right for the team and if Otisawi's not showing that in training or in matches, then he won't play. And what would Vitinha cost from Porto? So he'd be roughly sort of 20 million, but I think that they'd be looking to maybe negotiate that down because we know net spend isn't going to be huge this summer. And if you're already looking at spending roughly 40 million on Eight Nori and Vitinha, two players who've, one of them's been on the fringes all season long and the other one's probably only playing because of injuries, that's a massive part of your of your summer spending. So I think they'll try and negotiate those down. It's such a massive summer ahead in terms of resetting the button and refreshing a lot of these players, but also the ones that they need to bring in. And they're just going to have to be really cute in the transfer market and use the loan market wisely. I think that's going to be, a, if, if they haven't got a huge amount of money to spend, that's going to be a big thing this summer. They've used it successfully in the past. They've got to do so again. And they've got to decide if anyone goes, if anyone needs to make way to generate funds to bring players in. Fascinating summer ahead. I really want to play in a clip now from Friday's pre-match press conference. The key question that I was really desperate to know the answer to was about why the Burnley performance happened and why there wasn't any response in the second half. Normally, if Wolves are poor in the first half, and it's happened a few times, there has been a reaction. There was no reaction, which suggested perhaps there was something else going on. It was quite alarming. And Nuno gave this interesting answer. It's not an issue, uh, an issue of commitment. I'm, I'm totally sure about that. He had to do with energy, something that uh, I don't want to go much, but much longer with, with this issue, but... When you have a player, a player infected, um, as if you allowed me to explain to you, when a player is a player is on isolation after the COVID, all the managers and all the teams we've been looking at this period, okay, the player has tested positive, so he has ten days of of isolation. Then immediately we can count on the players, and and we've been doing that. So we had several players on isolation, and immediately. We've been using these players due to the circumstances of the squad. Because the player during that period doesn't doesn't show any kind of symptoms. 
and something something that uh, for sure the Premier League and uh, all the medical departments will look at, the, at that. After a player has contracted the virus, he has an isolation. How is how are their levels of performance? Because we've been affecting, we've been been affected by players losing and um, and decreasing a lot their performances a few weeks after the moment of the of the of the infection of the virus. Um, and I can tell you that, especially in the game of of Burnley, we felt that we felt that some of our players was uh, without energy. Um, they were not able to do the actions that they wanted to to do because they were not uh, physical capable of doing that. So that comes to question. So why didn't we see that during or before the game? Why did it, uh, this lack of energy only show after one week? It's something that everybody's going to take a look at um, and really uh, see that after a player has been infected, the 10 days is not the issue. The issue is what is coming after the virus, all the exams that we have to do, and especially this feeling that some of the players are feeling, this complete absence of energy. And I only can um, attribute that and say it's because of the, of the infection. Nothing to do with the commitment, nothing to do. Because um, you want to do things, something is is not letting you and it's, it's energy. So Tim, that's interesting. We're all scratching our heads as to where that performance had come from. Do you think that's the explanation right there, that several of them are actually suffering the after effects of COVID, even though a week later it was a much better performance? It was certainly something that, that Nuno was talking about. And I think I think Bonnie more than more than anyone, clearly, you know, judging what on what's happened since, seemed to be really affected that day and just didn't didn't seem to be able to put in a performance that day, which Nuno has, has put down to the after effects of suffering from, from COVID. I think he returned for the Sheffield United game clearly just isn't himself but he was also suggesting it was it, it's, it's a wider issue among several players in his squad we know a lot of Wolves players have had COVID this year we don't know the exact amount but there's certainly a few that we do know about and I think he was kind of saying the Burnley game it just seemed to catch up with them and the, a lot of the fatigue that they've been suffering and maybe that's why they're not themselves you know in the last few weeks has, has been down to that and it's a really interesting issue Steve Bruce has, has talked about it quite a bit in terms of his players suffering from it and um Wolves obviously not immune to that, and I'm sure a lot of other clubs would um, would say the same. You're listening to the Molyneux View from The Athletic with me, Jackie Oatley, and The Athletic's Wolves reporter, Tim Spears. Now, shortly, we'll preview the Brighton game with Andy Naylor and we'll discuss any other business after that. But first, Wolves are the fifth lowest goal scorers in the Premier League after the bottom three and Burnley, who've nearly caught them up after last week. We know how much Raul Jimenez's injury has affected them, but why has Nuno been unable to find his much-mentioned solutions within the squad? Well, James Scowcroft is a former Premier League footballer with Ipswich and Leicester and has since turned his hand to analysing centre-forward play. James, welcome to the Molyneux View. Hello, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. You've studied the stats and you've used your own eyes as well. I mean, what are your general thoughts on why Wolves find goals so hard to come by? Well, it's the obvious reason that you've you've lost your main centre-forward from last season in Raul Jimenez, um, which is obviously going to be a huge blow. But I I think there's numerous reasons and without having a replacement, it's obviously been very, very hard for Wolves. But if you actually just look at the areas of the pitches where Raul scored his goal, and you know we've had a discussion in the last week about this, where all of a sudden that penalty box, especially that six-yard area, 
Wolves have only scored one goal this year compared to last year where I think Raul Jimenez scored 12, where half of those are inside the six-yard box. If you take that away from the output, that's that's going to have a huge, huge, huge uh, knock-on effect to only score one goal in that six-yard box, to only score 10 around the sort of the, the inside the penalty spot towards a goal. And you compare it to other teams, you compare it to like an Everton that scored 26 and 15 goals inside the penalty box. There's a lot of points there that have gone missing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the comparison. When you first told me one goal that Wolves have scored inside the six-yard box in the league this season, not including own goals, by the way, it was Saiz with a, a flicked header from a corner against Tottenham. And I thought that was extraordinary, but actually does make sense. And as you mentioned, you do need to do the comparison to really know the difference. And Everton, as you mentioned, have scored 15 goals from inside that six-yard box compared to Wolves' one and 12 for Tottenham, 12 for West Ham. And we have talked on this pod before, James, about how Wolves seem to make it so difficult for themselves to score goals. They don't tend to score easy goals. It, you know, I mentioned about feels like them pushing an elephant up the stairs. They try to do it the hard way all the time. I mean, why do you think that is? I think, obviously, you have to look at the wider picture. I think Diego Jota was, is a bit of a miss and you've, you've lost some of that creativity. I think it's probably a little bit harsh to, to solely blame it on the centre-forwards. I think you've always been a believer that you attack as a team and, and defend as a team. If you look defensively, the width yesterday, for example, probably comes from Etnui and, and Semedo and, and ultimately their defenders as well. So I think it's a very sort of defensive formation that Wolves are, are playing at the moment. And it doesn't seem to be the sort of the legs, the energy and the creativity in wide areas either. And what has been your analysis of Fabio Silva, who, a young lad, he just turned 18 when he came to this country with one league start and one league goal behind him and thrust really into more action than he and the club were expecting? I think it's been extremely tough for him, but it's always going to be to be 18 and come straight into the Premier League and, and play as a forward is, is a huge ask. This was a lad that had only sort of played a, a few games for Porto in, in the Portuguese league. The Premier League is a huge, huge step up, a massive step up from, from that level and style of play and tempo and physicality. And I think I like his enthusiasm. I like, you know, his endeavour, his work rate. But I think he's a typical young forward. If you watch him slowly starts to drift into wide areas, you know, it doesn't quite like the the physicality that Jimenez probably could go up against and go, you know, toe-to-toe with the uh, defenders there. So ultimately, he drifts away from the box and away from uh, key goal-scoring areas. And that's something that will take him a few years to master. And what about Willian Jose? Because... He was signed as somebody who really ticked the boxes of what Wolves have been lacking from Raul Jimenez in terms of experience, in terms of build-up play, the height. He can score with his head, right foot, left foot, close range, all sorts. But we just haven't seen him get into those goal-scoring positions. From, from what you can tell in terms of the stats and what your eyes tell you as well, why do you think he's not got into those goal-scoring positions as often for Wolves as he did for Real Sociedad? I don't know. It's a good. It's a. Um, it's a good question. The only time he has done that, he scored a goal. So that should tell him. Look, you know, get into those areas more. Be a little bit more patient. You know, listen. We we don't know what the the manager and the coaches are saying to him. But to be left out in a big game yesterday for an eighteen year old obviously tells you that you know he hasn't had the um, the input that many people would like him to have. I just think the step up again from. La Liga to the Premier League is big. It's a big, big jump. And when you play for a mid-table team, it's a different culture. It's a different way of playing. You come up against a West Brom team yesterday that you've got 
you know, Carl Barkley, you've got O'Shea, you've got Ajayi. You know, these are tough, strong centre-backs and you have to be clever. Your movement has to be good. If you're just going to go and stand up and be one-paced against them, you're not going to have any joy. And when I've seen him, listen, he's neat and tidy. He's technically good. But again, he does all his work outside the box. He just doesn't get into areas that are going to hurt teams. So it is his doing, really. It's his fault for not getting into those positions. I think so. And I think sometimes when you come to a new club and you come to a new league, naturally you want to get involved. You want to have many touches on the ball. You 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 want to impress. And I think sometimes you have to be brave and you just have to sort of go through that. If you go three, four, five games without scoring a goal, you've got to stick with it. You've got to stick to, to what brought you success earlier in your career. And again, Jackie, go back to the point that we make it. You've got to get in areas that are going to hurt defenders. Yeah, so that's down to him. And and what about defensively? Wolves, you sent me a stat saying Wolves conceded one goal and 12 shots within the six-yard box last season. This season, before the West Brom game, they'd already conceded eight goals and 19 shots within the same area. With five games left to play, Wolves had already conceded the same number of goals as they did in the whole of last season. Now an extra one as well. Why do you think that is? It's difficult to point the finger, but again, it's it's what's not happening at the other end is is happening there. You know, they are dropping deeper. And I think that's a knock-on effect right away through the team. If you are not putting the ball in the box at the other end, naturally as a team, you're going to drop and drop and drop. And they're, they're definitely conceding more shots from closer to goal than what they were last season. In fact, they've gone from eighth in the league for opposition shot distance to 16th this season. So, you know, the whole team, naturally it's starting to drop off it's starting to maybe age a little bit it's starting to um just feel the effects and possibly you know we talked yesterday maybe missing playing in front of a crowd where a crowd will drive them on and will push them forwards James, it's really interesting you say just one goal in, in the six-yard box going forward. Um, I mean, at times watching Wolves this season, I've felt like they've had an over-reliance on crosses, really, and, and Troyora getting to the byline and cutting it back. And if that's only been effective on a couple of occasions, does it kind of suggest that their routes to goal have, have been misguided, really, in certain terms of their build-up play? Well, I think so. I think, naturally, if you've got an 18-year-old who's coming into the team, he's going to have to be some sort of 18-year-old who's going to come into the six-yard box and physically compete with Premier League centre-backs. So, you know, look, I haven't watched every single Wolves game, but it's clear to see that if you haven't got that focal point, i.e. if you're in Everton and you've got a Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the penalty box, you are naturally going to cross the ball. He will draw the ball out. If you haven't got that centre-forward there, it's just going to dry up. And I think that will naturally have a knock-on effect with, with the players. You know, watching the game yesterday, at times it was excellent until the final third. And it just seemed to be a lack of, do we go wide and do we cross the ball or do we try and work our way in? It just seemed to be uh, up until a certain point, everything then stops and it's off the cuff. And that's how it seems to Wolves. And when I have seen Wolves play this season, off the cuff sort of seems to be the, the, the pattern in the final third. Yeah, and there hasn't been so much play perhaps through the centre. It's something that they did a little bit differently against West Brom with the likes of Ottasawi in the centre and Vitinha as well, who's able to link up play in advanced areas because Pedence certainly hasn't been doing that recently. So it'll be interesting to see what they do for next season. But but also in the summer, I mean, James, we're talking so often about what a big summer in the transfer window this is for Wolves. And Nuno's talked about mistakes in terms of perhaps the squad being 
smaller, too small, you know, his his choice, but he's going to have to address that. What sort of centre forward do you think Wolves should sign? Because they've got Fabio Silva. It doesn't look, we don't think that they'll sign Willian Jose. Raul Jimenez, there are still question marks because he hasn't kicked a ball in the first team yet. He hasn't headed a ball yet because he hasn't had the go ahead from the medics. So who do you see? Tammy Abraham's been linked, but would he cost about 40 million? And who else would you suggest? I suggest a good one, but that's that's easier said than done. It's difficult. Most clubs are looking for a, a centre forward and they're very hard to come by. I think if you play with one up front, you have to, to get an all-rounder, somebody that can come short, that can link the play, but also can run in behind. That That's really, really important that you, that you get that pace down a minute. Tammy Abraham would, would be perfect. I don't think he would be cheap and I think there would be a lot of competition for his signing. You then have to sort of stretch, you know, all over Europe, which Wolves, Wolves will have a very good scouting system on, on players. It's going to cost Wolves a lot of money to to, re, to replace that and to, to go into the market and, and buy. The art to it is to buy when you actually have somebody and maybe nurture somebody when Al Jimenez was, was in the team. It's a big decision for the club and one they have to get right. And, you know, we go back to them just, just one thing we, we didn't mention Wolves have got the worst XG shot ratio in the league this season now, people that have come across this XG it's basically the, the probability of, of scoring from a, from a shot um, now theirs is the worst so it, basically what it means is the shot location and the shot decision making is poor and it's the worst in the league and that goes back to my point of being off the cuff it, you know it's from long distance it's from areas that probably that they're not going to score from and that all just comes back to the point that we're making that they are missing that focal point in the center interesting i mean Ruben never seems to have a lot of shots from distance, which just really don't sting the goalkeeper's palms. And, and he keeps getting mentioned by commentators as being, oh, this is this is Neves' range. And all Wolves fans are thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> He's got a couple of absent corkers against Derby and Espanyol. But, but really, that hasn't come to fruition. I mean, so, so are you saying the solution is really to get Raul back is the obvious one and to get a, you know, an adequate, perhaps experienced back up to him for next season. But what about the routes to goal? How do they remedy that situation? If you're not talking about necessarily Raul being there and doing what he did last season, there must be other options. They can't always just talk about Raul and, and his presence or absence. No, and, and you have to, to look into to other areas, don't you? You have to, It seems to be a huge weight on Adama Torre's shoulders, that he is the attacking force on the right-hand side. He is the pace in the team. Maybe could balance that off on, on the left. We talk about, like you've just mentioned, shooting from distance. You know, it's very rare that you actually shoot from outside the box and you get goals that way. I'm not quite sure on the stats now, but they're extremely high on the ratio of scoring inside the box to outside of the box. And it always amazes me that we go into stadiums and when fans are there, everyone's encouraging their players to shoot. I think Wolves needs a little bit of a turnover in their squad this year. They've, they've had a brilliant two or three years from coming up to the from the Championship into the Premier League. It's quite common, actually, to sort of hit that little bit of a seeding where the novelty's worn, or, worn out a little bit. Wolves are now familiar. The Premier League's now familiar. Can you kick on again? And I think it's a huge summer for Wolves in their recruitment. Thanks, James. Pleasure. Appreciate you coming on the Molly New View. No problem at all. Good luck. Tim, some interesting insight from James there, particularly on Wolves' lack of success in the six-yard box. Yeah, that is really interesting. You know, just one goal in the six-yard box, the worst the worst in the league for that. And, you know, like I put to James, time and again, we see Adama Traore get to the byline and cut it back. And it shows how kind of a, what a fruitless exercise that's been, you know, in the main. Certainly without Raul Jimenez in the team. And, and, and you know, again, 
again, everything we say points to just how good Jimenez is and how much they miss him. You know, not just his 17 goals from last season, which if you add into this season, then Wolves are probably in the top half of the table. But more just the, the, the role he does, you know, and, and, and what what William Jose and Fabio Silva don't do compared to Jimenez. That's not necessarily massive criticism of them. It's just to say how good and integral Jimenez is. You know, they brought in Jose to kind of play the Jimenez role, which he can do to an extent, linking the play from deep and finding himself out wide and, and whatever. But he doesn't do the end bit, as in scoring and getting in good positions. Silva does do the end bit, gets in great positions and has scored a few, but he doesn't do any build-up. Before he scored against Albion, he he played four passes in 45 minutes um, at the Hawthorns. He just wasn't involved. And I know he was making runs to distract defenders and was creating space for Vitinha behind him, but still, it's it's just the opposite of of what Jimenez sort of offers. So, yeah, routes to goal has been a problem all season. And I think they're, do you know what? I think they really miss combinations, particularly out wide. You know, Doherty and Traore were so good at combining and Doherty would cut inside into the box time and again and link with Jimenez. On the other flank, Johnny and Jota had a, had a really good sort of telepathy as well. We haven't seen that this season. Uh, at the Hawthorns yesterday, I think it was in the second half, Semedo ventured forward and he looked like he was about to make the overlap to Traore. He passed inside to Traore. I was fully expecting a 1-2 and he'd get to the byline. But Traore just kind of kept possession and tried to cut inside and lost the ball. So him and Semedo, just as we've discussed before, just haven't just haven't got that partnership. And then eight Nori and, uh, well, the, the left the left wing's been a mess all season because of the injuries and the, and the different changes in personnel pretty much every week. So you're not going to form those partnerships. So I think I think that's been really that's been really lacking as well. You know, you take away those partnerships on the on the flanks and you take away Jimenez, and this is what we've got. Well, this is why the summer is so interesting and pre-season, pre-season, which Nuno talked about a few weeks ago, the frustration that he didn't know where they could go because of the pandemic and how that's going to pan out. But pre-season training this year, to my mind, is absolutely essential. Ideally, early recruitment, but pre-season training, working on a pattern of play, routes to goal, all these things, ideally with a mostly fit squad. And hopefully we will see a very different Wolves team next season. So Tim, you've been busy this week writing a rather good article about Nuno's change of approach to his small squad mentality. Tell us more. This was interesting, you know, Nuno doesn't give too much away about the future, you know, certainly during a season, but he sort of conceded that, I guess in hindsight, they would have done things differently this season and that they've made mistakes and that in the summer, you know, they plan to have a bigger squad, which is a massive sort of change of of approach, really. You know, Nuno's preached the tight, small senior squad mentality for for years and it's worked for years. It's, It's worked really effectively for them. This season it hasn't because of the injuries they've suffered, the fatigue they've suffered, you know, both mental and physical. You know, the reasons why he likes a small squad, you know, the sort of theory behind it is because he feels like it generates a really tight team spirit. I think he thinks it improves training. If there are senior players who just aren't going to be playing or aren't in a match day squad, he thinks that 
kind of creates bad apples within the squad and then you get you know players sort of chuntering away as to why not, why they're not in the team and maybe slagging off the manager and that all bleeds into you know to a darkened atmosphere in the group so that's the logic behind it you know he likes a small senior squad supplemented by under 23s however yeah as we've seen this season it's it's been part of their downfall as to why they've dropped down the league a little bit because they just haven't had the the backups when they've suffered injuries because a small squad has to go hand-in-hand hand with a great injury record. The two have to go hand-in-hand, hand and it just hasn't happened this season. So, But it's interesting that, you know, he's obviously they've got they've already got two injuries for next season that we know about in Johnny and Neto, so they're already two down. We all hope Raul Jimenez is going to be the same player, but we don't know that. Although it was very interesting that he said, just to point out quickly, on Friday's press conference, that he thinks Raul is ready. He looks ready. However, they're waiting for the for the medical approval, you know, in terms of the, um, the bone healing, as, as he keeps putting it. So, um you know, may or may not see him for the end of the season. Has he actually been heading a ball in training with his protective band around his head? I don't believe so, no. I think that they're waiting for the all clear in terms of the bone healing, literally, so that he can then head the ball. He gets asked about it every week and he said there's no change. Yeah, he's just waiting for the experts to say the bone has healed enough. That's literally what's holding him back. Yeah, but in terms of how Raoul looks and how he's running around and how he's involved in training, he thinks he's fine, he's back to normal. It doesn't mean that if somebody says... Today, if a medical expert says, yes, your bone is healed, that suddenly having not headed a ball since November the 29th last year, that he's suddenly going to be thrust into a game whereby he could be clattered once again. You would think psychologically and physically it might take some weeks. So we're not going to see him surely, are we? No, when Nuno said, if he gets the all clear to play against Albion on Monday, then I'd play him. I think he kind of means just in his terms of his fitness and his general Raul being Raul he feels like he's back to his normal self I think that's what he was sort of referring to but yeah it's um until they get that medical clearance you know he's, he's not he's not gonna be pulling on a wolf shirt so yeah but in terms of the squad and I asked him I said look you know you've, you've you've said about the team spirit and how the small squad is so such an integral part of that is that impacted when you start to sign more players he says he insists no not at all he says um team spirit won't be impacted he also insisted no player can be signed as a backup to cover for injuries. You know, that's not what they're doing here. It's more about having more players as options, as he likes to put it. So versatility is obviously so important. I think they'll buy players this summer that can play in multiple positions and hopefully can play in two formations, different styles, different systems. They can't just stick to 3-4-3 three, three counter-attack. Nuno recognised that last summer. He tried to change things with more possession, with Neto in midfield. People forget, you know, for the first two games of the season, Neto was in, in midfield. They sort of moved away from that. I think the West Ham game was a real was a real shock to them, and they sort of went back to basics. And you know, they've trundled on throughout the rest of the season. So, I think that idea is still there for more possession, for a different style, for a front foot approach. We've seen it at times this season with a four two three one, and that'll be a massive part of their thinking this summer. It still comes back to the defence, doesn't it? Which is just such an interesting subject. And We'll wait to see. Another article you wrote is about Connor Ronan, somebody we had high hopes for a couple of seasons ago. He's 23 years of age now, the uh, Republic of Ireland youngster, and he's on loan at Wolves, what do we call them? Sister club, do we? Grasshoppers. We can. Wolves won't because officially there's no link. But obviously, you know, Fosun are owned by Jenny Wang, the hope, the, the wife of Fosun chairman Guo Guangchang. And Wolves have got Sky Sun there as, as president, former Wolves board member. Say Olafinjana, who've had the podcast before and I'd signpost people towards that. He was great when he came on. We'll be going there as um, sporting director. I did a story a couple of weeks ago. And they've got four players as well. Conor Ronan, Leo Bonatini, Totti Gomez and Oscar Burr Rasmussen are all on loan, as was Renat Dadashoff at the start of the season before he did his ACL. So there's very close links between the club. They're having a very successful season. They're top of the league. 
and they should be promoted before long. So yeah, Wolves are very enthused about about this project and the benefits that it can bring. You know, particularly if if grasshoppers are restored to what they would see as their rightful place at the top of Swiss football and playing in Europe. You know, that'd be a great place to send some of the Wolves youngsters. Um, I think they'd look to send youngsters that are sort of on the fringes of the first team. You know, to grasshoppers if they're if they're at the top of the Swiss pyramid. And as for Conor Ronan, yeah, I, I absolutely love the guy. I make no bones about that. He's um, I think he's he's technically a, I love watching him play. Technically a beautiful player to watch, um, and had a very interesting few years uh, at five loan clubs from Warsaw to Zurich, and he's had um, he's had a really interesting year. As as he said to me, there are worse places to be in a pandemic than than beautiful Switzerland with its with its mountains and its lakes. And, it's not Compton, um, though, is it? It's not Compton. It's not Compton. And he's matured a lot, and he's playing in a new position this season, more defensive, with more defensive roles, and he said he's learned in an awful lot. And still harbours ambitions of coming back to play for Wolves. You know, people can kind of dismiss that instantly, but he believes in his ability, and he wants to play for Ireland, and he thinks with Stephen Kenny, former under-21 boss, he's got a good chance of doing that, and I, I, I would agree with that. And you never know. You never know, but hope. But what he wants more than anything is a place to call home. He's been on the road for five years. He bought a house with his missus in Rochdale last year. He's lived in it for three weeks because he was, you know, he's off back to Switzerland again this year. And and while it's a great move and he's enjoyed it, I think he just wants to settle down now. He signed a four-year contract with Wolves at the end of last year, which gives him great security and stability. So now it's about his future, and um, he'll sit down with the club in the summer and they'll, they'll decide what's best for him next. Great. A lot more detail in those articles, by the way. So make sure you go on to The Athletic and have a read either via the app or the website. There are no adverts in there. So lovely place to be reading about your football and all the Wolves in-depth analysis that Tim can bring. What are you working on this week, Tim? Is it top secret? I'm going to do a piece looking at the looking at the three low knees and whether they should um, should be signing them this summer. Eight Nori, Jose and Vitinha. Uh, I'd also signpost people towards um, a piece I did at the weekend uh went popped down to Shrewsbury on Saturday to where there were seven ex-Wolves players in attendance for Shrewsbury and Oxford, uh, including Dave Edwards and Ethan Ebax Landale, James Henry. Um, but the, the reason I was there to, was to go and see Steve Cottrell's return. After four months out, initially with COVID and then with pneumonia, he basically nearly died. And it was a very emotional return to Shrewsbury, which I, I had the pleasure of covering on Saturday. So, um, yeah, there's been some nice, nice responses to that. So um, have a read if you fancy. Next up, Wolves have yet another chance to beat the Albion, Brighton and Hove Albion this time, who they've drawn nil-nil with at Molyneux in their last two meetings there. Andy Naylor is the Athletics Brighton writer and joins us now. Hi, Andy. Hello, Jackie. Well, it was a very good 2-0 win over Leeds at the weekend. They're 14th in the table and five points behind Wolves. What's the vibe coming out of the club at the moment? Well, I think that's really taken the pressure off Brighton now. There was still lingering anxiety about their circumstances towards the foot of the table. They were seven points clear of Fulham going into that game. So if the weekend had gone badly, they could have been dragged back into a bit of apprehension. But 10 points clear now, only four games left. I think it's safe to say that Brighton will be enjoying a fifth successive season in the top flight for the first time in their history. And how do the fans feel about the job that Graham Potter's done there? I think the vast majority are happy with the job he's doing. They can see the project that Brighton have. It's very much a long-term aim to establish themselves as a top 10 club in the Premier League. Eventually, that's obviously going to take time. That's what they're building towards. So far in their Premier League history, under both Chris Hewton and now Graham Potter, they've been a bottom six club. 
They want to try and progress from that and not be constantly looking over their shoulder. But as I said, that is going to take time. There have been signs of progress this season, clear signs of progress, which haven't been reflected really with their points tally in the table, but just the way they've played, how competitive they've been against every club, including the big clubs away from home. A lot of missed chances. That's been the narrative of Brighton's season. If they take more of their chances, they would be pushing up towards that that top 10 uh, place that they're seeking. I was going to say, Andy, do you think that might happen next season? Because for, for football nerds like myself, that their XG numbers are a fascinating case study in that they should probably be challenging for Europe, you know, on the goals that they should be scoring, according to the old numbers. But yeah, they, they've certainly got massive potential for next season, haven't they? They definitely have, Tim. There's a lot of good stuff happening at Brighton that goes beyond their points and, and their position. The squad has become a lot younger during Graham Potter's time in charge, a lot more energy and mobility. They're recruiting in a way that they're, they're kind of signing a lot of young players from, from abroad that have got potential resale value and can also improve the team. So there are a lot of areas, a lot of things to be positive about. As I said, it's not really been reflected so far in, in their position and their points tally. The big talking point again, as it has been really, uh, for a couple of seasons has been finding that um, elusive goal scorer who can guarantee you goals in the Premier League. That is not an easy task for a, for a club of Brighton's stature and the limitations of their spending power. It does help that they cross the halfway line now. I was at the nil-nil game a couple of seasons ago in the glorious oh sunshine. God. It was... Oh. <laughs> It was both my kids' birthday and it was the first and only Wolves game that I've taken them to. And they must have been thinking, like, what happens here that one team's trying to score and the other doesn't even go near the halfway line? I remember Glenn Murray up front. He must have been thinking, oh, my God, this is so dull. And yes, they ground out the point they needed and that they came for. And I just remember in the media, everyone, because everyone likes Chris Hewton. And I remember everyone saying, well, he's done such a great job. What's he supposed to do with that squad? But then Graham Potter's come over and, and there's a bit of sniffiness because he's younger and they still weren't getting many more results. But it was absolutely the club's prerogative to make that change, wasn't it? To try to become more progressive, younger and more fun to watch. Yeah, I, th- I think so, Jackie. I mean, as you said, Chris did a wonderful job for Brighton. You know, when he took over, they were in the relegation zone in the championship. So he took them into the Premier League, kept them there for two seasons. But the powers that be felt that they were probably just going to be that if, if the status quo stayed the same, you know, that they were just going to be a team that survived rather than a team that could push on and thrive. A lot of groundwork went in. They'd been watching Graham Potter for some time. He's working Sweden with Osterson and the one season he had at Swansea in the championship. And I mean, they handed him a four-year deal initially. Within 13 games, that went to six years. So that, that, that kind of feeds back to the long-term project that I'm talking about. And he's a forward-thinking coach, a lot of bright ideas. We see it in his selections, the way he changes the formation quite a lot in games, the way he uses players in very strange positions sometimes, <laughs> positions we've been unfamiliar to see in them. I mean, Pascal Gross suddenly popping up as a right wing-back is one that <laughs> sticks in the memory fairly recently. So... There's a lot to like about the way things are progressing at Brighton. Yeah, they hadn't scored in three games until the two against Leeds, won a penalty, and then Danny Welbeck doing 
what we know he's capable of. He is a quality player, but we haven't seen it so much with Bright. I mean, how do you expect them to line up and how do you expect them to approach the game at Molyneux? There won't be many changes to that team, I would imagine. It was a really good performance against Leeds. Uh, it's quite significant when you look at the two games against Leeds. They, they won 1-0 at Ellen Road and now 2-0 at home. So an aggregate three now against Bielsa's side is uh, is pretty good going. I very much think it will be more or less the same. We think Adam Lalana is going to be out. He missed the game with a calf injury. Graham Potter indicated afterwards uh, that he probably won't be ready for Wolves. They play at home to West Ham the game after that. So I think it will be an unchanged side. It'll be the sort of three-four-three. Uh, he's he switched the defensive system. It's sometimes been a flat back four, but predominantly they play with three central defenders, and I think that will be the case at Molyneux with wing backs. And they've been missing their first choice wing backs. Tarek Lamptey's been out since December and won't play again this season with hamstring problems. Solly March on the left hand side, who'd been doing a really good job, was injured at Liverpool in the 1-0 win in February. They've been missing him. It's a point that gets overlooked with Brighton, actually. Their defensive record is very good. And it has been without the two key players I've mentioned. And also Adam Webster, central defender, who was out for seven weeks, has only just come back. Um, Andy, whenever I see you turn up at Molyneux, I, I know I'm in for a really boring afternoon. And that, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, nice. that's, that's That's not a reflection on <laughs> your company <laughs> uh, whatsoever. Um, but three of three of the last games, Wolves against Brighton and Molyneux have been nil-nil. Brighton won the other one-nil, which I think was on their way to promotion. So can you give me some hope that it's not going to be nil-nil? Well, what about that goal fest in December, Tim, at, at the Amex? Yeah, that, that's That true. extraordinary 3-3 three, three draw. I mean, where did that come from? <laughs> Brighton Wolves, we're not used to that, are we? I wish I could promise you another flood of goals. Um, uh, Wolves seem to tighten up to me against West Brom after the, after the performance against Burnley. So um, I don't think it will be that. But, you know, it's two teams that they're both safe, aren't they? So... You'd like to think they'll they'll play with a bit of freedom and who knows, we might see another entertaining high-scoring draw. Probably not, though. Probably nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, no. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. We're so looking forward to Wolves nil Brighton nil at the weekend. Enjoy. Enjoy I'll every see you, minute. Tim. See you later, Jake. Nice <laughs> one. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much, pal. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. So, Tim, Wolves will face a five-man Albion defence with the likes of Webster, Dunk and White in the back three, Byrne on the left and probably Feltman on the right. Do you remember Adama Traore had, uh, had fun and games against Dan Byrne in that 3-3, didn't he, earlier in the season, in the new year? Or what do you reckon Nuno will do? What he can do, I guess. I mean, if Matinho and Bolly are still out and we know the long-term absentees, then not got a huge amount of options, really. I- I'd like to see... The same team again, I think. I think um, I don't think Pedence did enough when he came on to say I should be playing next week, and um, I think the guys that started sort of sort of did really. So um, Max Kilman should play for me as well. If you're going to play a back four with Cody on your right side, then I'd I'd want to see Kilman on the left. I know you might say it's a it's a risk, but with them twelfth in the table and, and at no risk of relegation, then I don't really see much harm in seeing what Max Kilman can do in, in a back two. Um, we haven't seen that before and I think he can count himself really unfortunate not to have played a lot recently, especially with the form of Romain Saiz as as discussed. So yeah. Has Kilman killed a man? That's nice. the thing that's been going through Very my nice. head. Because I can't work out why 
he hasn't been able to get a game when Wolves have looked all over the shop at the um, What is it about him? I guess mate, probably suffered from lack of experience, as a few of them have. That's why we haven't seen Vitinha and Otisawi, etc. Maybe he felt it was one step too far to bring him in as well against Albion with all the inex. He's not a baby, no, he's though. He's been a no, he's not a baby, a but just I guess in terms he's not done anything. No, but wrong. in terms of in terms of his uh, minutes played in professional football, it's not an awful lot. I, just playing devil's advocate here. I, I think he should be playing. I thought he was unlucky to be dropped, and I thought he did really, really well in that spell. He came in man of the match against Leeds away in October. Everyone was absolutely raving about him. I think he's got enough attributes to be given a run in this team because he's so comfortable in possession and he's so good under pressure and he's tall. He's decent in the air. He's got a good passing range on him. You know, he's not the most mobile, which is which is probably what, what lets him down. But I think he's done enough to earn a run in the team. The Pedence situation, if anyone follows him on Instagram, he, he wrote a very long and very impassioned message about his poor doggy that died a week or so ago. And it, it, it seemed almost like losing a, a family member, which I'm sure anybody who's who's lost a, you know, a much-loved pet would feel. But it was very much pouring it out on social media wasn't it so he's clearly quite a you know sensitive soul who's prepared to bear his soul what do you think's going on with Pedence do you think it's purely injury related and the fact that he hasn't recovered properly because he looks an absolute shadow of the man who who looked so exciting last season I think that must be part of it but then you're right when you look at that sort of outpouring of grief that's obviously going to affect his performances on the pitch so I think that's part of it as well Struggled with injuries this season, that coupled with, with what's happening in his personal life. And I think that that's a sort of maybe an explanation for why he doesn't look himself, because he doesn't look himself. OK, so in terms of changes? I'd like to see Kilman for size, but otherwise, you know, let's go again. Let's see what these kids can do. OK, right. Lovely. Now, Tim, any other business? Um, hmm, we talked about the social media boycott at the top of the podcast, which we both signed up for, as did organisations I'm part of, Women in Football and the Football Writers Association as well, because, frankly, enough is enough. The fact that some people are allowed to get away with abuse and there are no consequences in some cases. And that is why we participated in this boycott. And it's interesting that it coincides with a few days of you and I taking a bit of stick. I mean, I've seen some of the horrible stuff you receive from people apropos of absolutely nothing for no particular reason. And you know, I've taken a little bit as well. And we wonder whether, well, it seems a bit of a coincidence. It's come after one of the worst, or well, the worst performance under Nuno, I think, by a mile. And the fact perhaps that perhaps that people are frustrated. I mean, what do you make of it all? Yeah, it was a bit weird last week. I, it, because we didn't demand Nuno sacking, we got an awful lot of stick. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's we're just up there to be shot at, probably. You don't get a lot of players tweeting, Wolves players tweeting. Official account is very, you know, sort of corporate, I guess, with the things that, that which they put out. So, you know, it, it's us that they respond to. It is what it is, really. It's just a shame that, that you can't have a proper football debate on Twitter anymore without idiots joining in. It was nice not to be tweeting during the game yesterday, actually, purely for being able to watch it. But also, you know, I've noticed with The Athletic this season, you know, I absolutely love what we do and um, and what we offer. And the, the Athletic comments section is is, a, is an idyllic space of thought-provoking comments and, you know, reasonable debate. It's lovely. It's absolutely lovely. I'd, I'd point anyone towards it. Whereas, yeah, t- Twitter at the moment. So, someone sent me a tweet where some guy had said, isn't it nice not to have Tim tweeting this weekend? It's great. Uh, if you don't like what I tweet, then don't follow me. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's pretty simple, really. It's quite sad that you just can't have that healthy debate anymore so yeah there are a lot of idiots out there and um 
Are there a lot or is it a small handful? <sighs> no, I think there are quite a few. There are quite you, you get your idiots who just, you know, call you a knob or whatever. Um but then <laughs> you know, sometimes that quite that's quite funny and sometimes it gets very personal, which I just can't stand whatsoever. But then the worst ones are the guys, and it's all men by the way. I say guys because it's all men, in my experience, you know, the ones that, that are throwing abuse about. The worst ones are the guys who who are more sensible because they're writing coherent sentences. And a lot of time you see them preach about mental health and how that they've struggled themselves. And then, uh, you know, I, I see it all the time. And then a couple of days later, they're absolutely tearing into me and uh, and happily will slate you personally and think that because you're in a position of authority as, as a reporter on the club, you'll be completely immune to that sort of vindictive and, and personal criticism. It's... Um, it's quite abhorrent, really. So yeah, I, I think you know, I'll probably I'll probably tweet less over time because it's just there's just there's not much to be gained from it, and uh, and I really enjoy the the healthy debate that you can have on the athletic. That that's how it should be. It's a bit of a shame if you feel that you can't enjoy the positive sides of social media and engage with fans, because you do engage with fans. You know, people ask question and, and you give a response to the best of your knowledge because you are doing a job. Yes, you're a Wolves fan, but you're a journalist. We're both journalists and we do this podcast from a journalistic point of view. We're very much Wolves fans second, journalists first, which is why we try to bring in analysis and you know people we've spoken to, information from here and there, and you talk to people at the club. Um, and that's what we are. And if people want to have pure Wolves fans saying from the heart exactly what they think, there are lots of other very good platforms for them to hear that stuff. This is a little bit different. And I just don't understand why people have to be personal about it. And I've seen some of the stuff that you woke up to this morning. And I'm not surprised that you're thinking of coming off Twitter, frankly, because it's absolutely unacceptable and it's completely unnecessary. And yes, you can block and mute and people don't know that they're muted, but it shouldn't be happening in the first place. And this is what the social media boycott was all about. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do a Stephen Fry and, uh, and, and, and log off Twitter. I just think... I just, I just, I just, I look at replies a lot less these days because I don't really need that energy in my life, you know. <laughs> because it's just, uh, it's just nasty. It's horrible. It gets you down, and um, you know, I, I, I won't really play it safe or pander to fans with opinions. I just say it as I see it, and um, if you don't like that, then you know, don't call me a knob and don't follow me. It's pretty simple, really. Well said. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you also to James Scowcroft and to Andy Naylor and our producer, Steve Ted Hankey. Reminder, you can subscribe to The Athletic right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. You'll find quality analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as advert-free versions of all our podcasts as well. So go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolvespod to take advantage of the special 40% discount. That's theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves Pod. We'll be back with you next Tuesday morning on your regular podcast platform. Bye for now. The Athletic.